From our offices in Washington, D.C., this is Everything About Hydrogen. I am Andrew Leadham, and with me today, as usual, are Patrick Malloy of the Rocky Mountain Institute in Washington, D.C., and Chris Jackson, CEO of Proteum over in London. Today's episode is our penultimate episode of the year here at Everything About Hydrogen, so that means it will just be the three of us doing our annual year-in roundup, where we talk about the stories and trends in the hydrogen world that have caught our attention or had the biggest effect in the space in the past 12 months. As always, if you have any questions for us here at Everything About Hydrogen, please shoot us an email at info at h2podcast.com or give us a shout on Twitter at, at About Hydrogen. And with that, let's get started. All right, Chris, we're going to start our year in our year end roundup with you. Well, no, we're not doing any friendly highs, Andrew. How are you? How are you? Hey, straight <laughs> we into are the down. work. It's the end of the year, Chris. We're down to business. First things first. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Fair enough, Chris. How are you doing? How are things in the UK? What's been on, What's been going on in your world? <laughs> well, thank you for asking, Andrew. Um, I tell you what. Um, after after what has been, I think for many, probably one of the most unusual and bizarre, surreal years imaginable. Um, ending the year with a vaccine and a Biden election is a pretty good way to end. Um, I think we're we're just hoping we don't also have a No Deal Brexit. That would be potentially a a little bit of a spanner in the works to a reasonably calm end of the year. But if they can get a deal agreed. I think everyone yeah. felt like Christmas was a bit of a nice one to breathe out because, uh, yeah, everyone's sort of forgetting that amidst the carnage of everything else, that's still a thing. Um, that would be that would be a three for three upswing at the end of the year. Yeah, I, I can go for that. Yeah. How about you, Patrick? How are you doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sensitive enough to need the, the hellos and hugs. So, uh, no, I'm good. Oh, I'm good. How are Dear. you? <laughs> Patrick is, uh, you know, after a year of working in his room, being harassed by people all around the world for his global hydrogen expertise, is just like, what do you want? It's the yeah, we're done. Full, full anti-social <laughs> rebuke. I'm good. I'm good, Patrick. I, I you know, I'm just holding uh, out for the uh, for the Biden inauguration. I guess that's all I'm waiting for. Uh, yeah. Okay. H- have you plans? Have you special plans, Andrew? I think everyone wants to know how you're celebrating such a thing. That's a good question. You know what I'll do is I'll uh, I'll start posting my plans on social media, so you guys can check it out there. Have you uh, you can you can add as one of your plans, Andrew, to uh, you know to show you really are out and about. You could go to the um, the Washington D.C. hydrogen refueling station that I think PDC machines put in. It was, oh, put it up where is that? Time. Yeah, that would be a good plan. Yeah, and you can do a little photo. I have to. Um, Jim Petrecki's going to shoot me because I can't find it off the top of my head. But um, it, it, they didn't. They haven't stalled it. I think it went in this summer in June. Patrick, have you all right? One yet? I, I have not. I have not. Well, maybe maybe Patrick and I can make a socially distanced <laughs> pilgrimage together. We'll send some selfies to you, Chris. All right, guys, let's jump into some substance, yeah? Chris, I think you wanted to kick off the the year-end roundup with a bit of a discussion around all the big listings we've seen in this past year, announcements around new funding, new projects, but let's start with the listings and the funding. Uh, It's been a big year for hydrogen, and, uh, you know, maybe you can take us through a few of the highlights. Yeah, sure. So I guess um, in many ways, this is the year we've gone from demonstrations to deployment. Um, That was very much what the industry 
um, has been saying for a long time it wanted to see happen, and I think people have been staggered by the pace of that. Um, you know, it, it's it's amazing to see the ticket sizes uh, and how significant those are. And I think you know, you're reflect, you know, the listings that just was before this call today, going through some of the ones this year. So you know, Ballard's raise of four hundred and two million dollars in November. Um, you had ITM Power did several listings, but you know, I'm just going to list the 165 million listing they did in October that was apparently oversubscribed several times. Um, you know, Plug Power did a billion dollar. Uh, raise this November. Uh, River Simple is looking at 150 million raise at the moment. I don't think they've closed, but it's in progress. Uh, and the Hydrogen One Capital target for a 250 million raise. I think again they're looking at uh, January. So you know those are just huge, huge numbers um, compared to where we were even a year ago. And you know there's obviously many smaller businesses that have raised uh, CPH2. I know which is a UK electrolyzer company closed a three million raise recently. So. Um, yeah, I think that's interesting. And one of the key things to many of those raises is this listing element. Um, and obviously, um, the most famous example of this is Nicola um, and, and all that went with that particular listing and that particular story. But um, it does show actually that um, the sort of move towards ESG and um, the sort of desire, I guess, from retail investors, but also for investors that are looking to diversify their portfolio is non-trivial. Um, and certainly a lot of companies in the space are actively and have been actively looking at listings. Um, AFC Energy, which is another UK listed company, raised, uh, I think, 30 million or 35 million through a listing. Uh, Anapta, the German electrolyzer company, also is now listed. Uh, many will have seen the Everfuel listing as well that happened in November. That was another 24, 25 million euro raise. So I think that's a new change. Um, and the stock markets generally have been kinder to hydrogen fuel cell businesses. Um, if you look at the sort of businesses that have survived the first cycle of um, wipeout from hydrogen in the late 90s, early 2000s, it was mostly the companies that listed that survived. So um, I, I think that's just something that, I've been really interested to see this year. And I guess what is interesting to me is, will we still continue to see next year that most hydrogen businesses are looking for uh, listings, public market listings, and that's their way of, of really being able to pick up and accumulate capital that they need for growth? Or will you actually see private equity and a lot of the private capital markets coming into this more aggressively and investing as well? So that's, that's a trend that I kind of want to see um, how that plays out. I don't know if either of you are having any thoughts on that. And obviously, Patrick and Andrew, you're in the States. You probably see a slightly different angle to this. So it'd be good to get your views. I have a, I have a couple of things I want to flag from that, from that quick uh, summary, Chris. Firstly, I think you left out, it may not be a public listing, but the formation of uh, the game-changing entity, Protium Green Solutions. That was a big thing this year. So, you know, you left that one out. <laughs> but... Uh, Beyond that, I would I would point out uh, you did open the door and mention one thing that uh, Patrick and I were chatting about just before you you jumped on the call. Uh, what are we to make? Nicola was certainly a headliner. What do we make of the announcement that GM will be uh, no longer investing in Nicola? Patrick, do you want to start off there? Yeah. I, uh, what do we want to make of it? Um... Like, look, I, we I, can, think, I think we I think, can generally assume a, it's not a great sign, right, for, for Nicola, but uh, you know, I want to get your thoughts on what it actually means. What, what, what's, the, what's the significance here? Well, that's, 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 the, that's the big question, right? Because you know, the Badger, uh, as far as I know, was to be made by GM, 
Um, I don't know if that's still the case or that's still in play as a prospect of this. I'm not sure if it is. Um, but also, you know, I think it's, they were originally meant to take 11% of a holding in Nicola and, and that's um, not happening. It's, um, I'm not sure if that's diminished entirely or if it's just a much, much smaller one, but you know, like, like the deployment, deployment is always going to be hard. There's often, and there's been a lot of hype around Nicola. You know, we've talked about them quite a bit. They have some very interesting plans. Um, you know, they still do have interesting plans. That's not, let's not say that this is terminal or whatnot, it, but you know, this is, this is where the rubber meets the road and it's tough. And um, so no, it's probably not a good sign that, that GM have, have backed out or altered the degree or to a significant degree, their, their agreement. But, you know, I suppose the question is, you know, what does Nicola do now? And, yeah. and, and then adjusting their strategy or, or kind of following through on the strategy is going to be something in 2021 um, where we're going to learn a lot about around what they're actually going to be able to do and whether they're going to be able to, to kind of line up some of the kind of the big ambitions that, that you know, they've, they've helped build over the last year or so. So, you know, it, it's, it's, it's an insight in the space, you know, car manufacturing in general, you know, has been a sector that's been under a bit of strain. And as to what it means for Nicola, I think we're still at maybe a year or into, you know, a year away from seeing what this really means. So, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd be interested to watch, wait and see. But sure, you know, on the face of it, this is not, not a, great, a great thing to see for sure. According to the Wall Street Journal, right, uh, they are GM is no longer taking a stake in Nikola. They will no longer be making the Badger, but they will be whatever this means. Uh, they will be providing Nikola with fuel cell technology. Um, so I, you know, I don't know what the details of that agreement are, but just to follow up on what you were asking about. Uh, those are the sort of the broad outlines. Sorry, Chris, over to you. No, I was just going to say, I mean, you know, it, the automotive space has been an interesting one because, you know, this year you've seen the Hyundai uh, Exeunt trucks hit the road. And I know that the Nexus had a significant number of orders. You've had the new Toyota Mirai released. Um, you know, we mentioned River Simple, but there is also companies like Heisen Motors that raised some capital um, or H2X Australia also raised capital. Um, you know, I, I believe there were several joint venture style agreements. So Plug Power looking at, uh, class six vehicles, um, companies like Arcola Energy in the UK and various others in Europe also starting to look at, you know, integration and systems integration work around fuel cell vehicles. So th- there has been quite a lot, um, you know, even below the Nicola surface, which gives me some optimism. Um, I mean, I do think one of the things that's made this more complicated is that people were just about getting their heads around pressurized hydrogen as a transport fuel and understanding what that can mean for the network. And then Daimler kind of threw a little bit of a spanner in the works and said, well, we want to do it as cryogenic hydrogen. And I'm not saying that necessarily that was wrong, but it's been quite interesting because a lot of companies now are saying, well, you know, cryogenic does materially help with range. Um, You know, you do get a considerably better range um, using cryogenic hydrogen rather than pure pressurized. But, you know, that obviously means far greater infrastructure requirements from the get go um, and, and potentially also implications for cost. So, you know, it, it is not helpful in many ways that the industry is already toying with, you know, is it going to be pressurized or cryogenic? And obviously, in some markets, they're even saying, well, maybe ammonia or maybe uh, methanol. Um, and, and again, it's not just 
road transport that's having this issue. Um, you know, I've seen obviously the shipping industry is having this discussion, although Patrick, correct me if I'm wrong, it, it feels to me as though ammonia has pretty much won the, the consensus view as the main decarbonization fuel within the shipping piece as opposed to pure green hydrogen. But aviation, the jury is very much still out. Pressurized, cryogenic, ammonia, I'm seeing all three options very much being floated. So I think that's why in some senses hydrogen production has raised a lot of money. A lot of hydrogen production companies raise a lot of money. Fuel cell companies generally have raised a lot of money. Um, some you know, business model type um, developer or hydrogen energy services companies are able to raise. But I think the, you know, the route to market question, which always lies at the heart of this, I think the transport side has had uh, a mixed bag of success, I'd say, this year. And I don't know if either of you would agree or disagree with that. Yeah, I, if, if I jump in on a couple of points there, just um, like one, cryogenics kind of storage. Yeah, it's, it's adding cost. It's increasing range, but it's definitely it's it's it definitely adds cost unless they've they've come across some innovation to really 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 drive that down. I suspect not. Um, but you know, the, you're right, right? Like we 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 talk about specific applications and whatnot. The big area that's coming up that's a huge challenge is going to be this infrastructure rollout and play. And, and there's there's big projects kind of going on looking at you know pipeline conversions that's the one that, that you hear a lot of talk about right now um you know distributed production etc you know we're at that point where how do we do this on a systemic level is is now the conversation on the shipping side you know i i think i think the perception around this you know yeah there's an awful lot of interest in ammonia there has been for quite a while um and part of the reason for that is that we've had, you know, the, the targeted kind of launch of, I think it's the Viking, the, the ship in, I think it's 2024 that it's launching, which is an ammonia fuel cell vessel. Um, I think on a pure hydrogen play, that conversation is probably a little bit, a little bit earlier uh, right now, in part because of just the sheer volumes required, right? These are, these are huge. You mean for the larger part. scale stuff as well, don't you, Patrick? Because obviously the small yeah. it's already well, if, down the hydrogen route in some Norwegian and Scottish areas. So I'm assuming yeah. the larger can when, when, when we're When we're talking about, uh, you know, maritime sector, we're talking about, you know, the huge uh, freight or uh, kind of uh, maritime freight shipping industry. And maybe, if you want to throw this in, some of the very, very large kind of cruise vessels, Right. Um, because those are the, those are the groups that consume huge huge volumes of this. This is this is why ports have these huge bunkers, um, you know, stationed up. Um, so you know, there's there's conversations of different differing levels of maturity, but also the infrastructure play and rollout starts to matter now an awful lot more. Because if you get, you know, a large consumer, you know, let's take shipping for the sake of it, at one location. Then all the ancillary, or not even ancillary, that's the wrong word, but but you know, the smaller kind of potential off takers that follow on um, or can follow on at, at much reduced costs and because they don't have to bear the full cost of the infrastructure rollout, um, you know, improves, right? Like you, you can you can look at you know running kind of uh, trucks around a port if you're gonna run all these monstrous vessels uh, on, on the same fueling system. Right, so we start to see these uh, structural synergies that you can you can kind of model out, and that's a really interesting prospect. But that's that's one of the real implementation junctures that we're at, and um, it's going to be it's going to be a tough and challenging time over the next year in that space. 
And Patrick, before we move on, I know we got to get to the, the the highlight projects of the year, but very quickly, I don't know if you wanted to touch on this. Uh, we kind of sidetracked you. Did, were there any particular fundings, fundraisings, listings, anything in the North American market that particularly caught your interest this year? If not, we can just edit this part out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's nothing well, interesting. No interesting projects going on. Yeah, nothing, nothing, nothing weird happened. No, nothing, nothing at all. I, I suppose you know. Look over the over the the course of the year, we've had a, a lot of movement in plug and a lot of movement in in you know Ballard's uh, recent raise. You know, it's it's a growing space. I, I don't know that I'm calling anything particularly different from sure. what Chris has called out. So sure, that's sure. That. Well, and fair enough. You, but you're <laughs> talking you about the project level, right? You're talking about the projects instead of... Well, no, like they, they've, they've raised money over the last year. Sure, right? but what I mean is I think is, you know, to, to the point we were sort of describing, I mean, if you look at the funding cycle, um, you know, it's interesting that the listings we've been talking about, right, are European and, and North American um, mostly. That's where the capital's being raised. But if you actually look at where the projects are being funded, it's not really in those markets per se, right? I mean, certainly the biggest projects being funded are in markets like Australia, which has been... Well, that, 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 well, that, that, that takes us on to the next question, aren't That we? takes us on to the next question, Chris. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, you're, well, you're doing it again, you're doing it again Chris. You're getting ahead. You're trying to take my job again, Chris. Uh, you already have enough jobs, Chris. Uh, you asked in North post. America, and Chris wants to talk about projects all over the world. Is- well, let's do it. Let's do it. I think that's that's good. That's the next thing on the so, on the list, guys. So let's do it. But uh, but I think we we agreed that we give Patrick first crack at this. So ooh, okay, it's mine. Let's keep it in North America uh, for for a little bit, right? Um, you know, obviously the Aces project. It's been yeah, it's, an, it's probably a little over a year ago, but but still that that's progressing along. Huge, huge storage potential uh, using kind of salt caverns in Utah. I think largely targeted at the um, California power market. Um, you know, very exciting, very large scale. Um, and, and, you know, there's little, uh, relative terms, smaller uh, projects, you know, starting to appear in Texas and I think possibly Florida around kind of blending with uh, turbine-based um, turbine-based generation, so blending green hydrogen into the, into the natural gas mix for, for the turbines. So that's, a, that's a, big, a big project that kind of set the stage over here, and I think the shadow of it is still, is still very real. I think if we, if we move, uh, you know, rather than looking at policy or looking at kind of commitment and roadmap plans, obviously a very, very big one, uh, the uh, Aquapower and, and Air Liquide project in Saudi Arabia, uh, I think it's around four or five gigawatts of, of solar wind installations to for a dedicated hydrogen resource. And if I'm not wrong, that's about what, five odd billion dollars going into that. Uh, huge project. I think very much targeting the, the European markets and the potential for hydrogen export. So that's something that, uh, you know, we, we talked a little bit with uh, the, the folks at uh, Hydrogenius uh, and Daniel last or the last episode or so uh, around those export markets and transportation. This is a, a play that you know is on a huge scale, trying to to ship low cost hydrogen into a, into a high demand market. So that's going to be a really interesting one to watch and see how that rolls out. And then to jump very very quickly further afield, 
off to the uh, the project in Australia in the Pilbara region. Uh, you know, a fifty billion dollar Australian uh, resource uh, with a I think it's twenty six gigawatt electrolyzer capacity. Um, absolutely enormous. Uh, targeting you know use in the 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 kind of uh, particularly the the Japanese market I think but but a lot of those Asian markets also um, really really interesting this is where the costs kind of come down when we get to these huge scale projects as well um, and you know we we certainly still have some some solutions to 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 kind of build up around how these you know and coming back to the cryogenics and pressurized storage and organic carriers and ammonia and etc like working out how to, to move volumes and what mechanism to do it is going to be is going to be the big bit as the follow-on from these projects but we've seen some absolute monsters come out this year um at an order of magnitude larger than the previous large projects so really encouraging on that from that we're seeing the actual deployment of resources the actual kind of movements towards feasibility and and, and gradually towards on the ground uh, Chris, uh, Patrick has taken us on a whirlwind tour of the world there. Uh, so are there any you would like to add to that? Any you would like to expand on? Yeah, so I, I think um, as Patrick called out um, Hydrogenius um, for you know the previous call, I, I think I just will also congratulate um, Daniel and the team. Um, that it was recently announced that the Green Hydrogen Blue Danube project that their technology um, to play a key role in that. That was just done literally um, November 30th, so really not that long ago. Uh, and that's quite interesting. I mean, I think they're looking at something like 80,000 tons of green hydrogen a year to produce, and hydrogen is going to play a big role in it. So that would be, in terms of that scale, the, I think probably larger than the Chioda LOHC project that um, has been going on in Asia. So it would be the largest LOHC hydrogen project in the world, which is pretty amazing. Um, so I think that sort of stuff is great. Um, and as I say, so it shows that we're moving from the pilot um, into the commercialization, um, which or demonstrations to deployment, I think was the way I phrased it at the beginning. So I think that's really good. In, in the UK, there's been some quite interesting stuff around heat, actually. I mean, I do think this is an area that people um, haven't talked about enough. And we talk about a lot in the UK, but, you know, um, heating assets and heating infrastructure is generally a minimum sort of 20 year, if not 30, 40, 50 year asset life. And so actually making sure that any new assets that go in today um, are hydrogen capable um, so that effectively they don't become stranded as the gas grid transitions over time and in some areas maybe um, declines and in others it might expand um, it is critical so you know for example they've just awarded um, one of the gas operators here Scottish um, gas networks um, I think it's just over 20 million pounds of funding to um, do 100% hydrogen blending um, for 300 homes. Now, Never I met. want to point something out here, Chris. It's interesting how in tune yours and Patrick's minds are, because, again, just before you hopped on the call, I asked Patrick what he wanted to talk about. And he was scrolling through hydrogen news. And he was like, ooh, here's one I found, 100% uh, gas grid integration in Scotland. Uh, and he is like, that's something we should talk about. So, <laughs> you, know, you guys are on exactly the same wavelength. Well, it's because it's, it's you know, we've talked about transport. Um, Patrick referred to the power project, that um, energy storage power project that's going on in the States. And, you know, there are other places that are doing that too, like um, Verbund in Austria is looking at that. But heating is is really interesting, you know. And, you know, I, I don't think we talked about it earlier, but, um, you know, one thing we did talk about before we got on the call was a project Patrick sent across um, on green steel in Sweden. And Patrick, I don't know if you want to share some details for listeners, but I do think 
this you know hydrogen for heating piece, green hydrogen for heating um, as well, because I think quite often we just talk about blue, but I do think we should talk about green as well. Um, is is really interesting as an area and really coming to the fore because a lot of you know practical questions come in. Hydrogen has a lower calorific um, content than natural gas, so if it's blended at the same pressure in the same gas networks, you're getting a lower calorific content. That affects billing. It affects metering. Um, these are practical, very boring um, considerations that have really significant commercial um, and practical implementation challenges around them. And so because we're moving from the demos to real life, we're actually going to start seeing these things. And I think that is critical to the industry. So I find that really exciting. I mean, but the steel project, Patrick, can you explain a little bit about that's the audience? Because I do think that's something that didn't get nearly as much press coverage as it should have done. Yeah, so, you know, very, very simply, um, one of the, the technologies that, that is uh, likely to be central to decarbonizing um, virgin steel production is, is going to be a, a technology um, called, called direct reduction, iron, direct iron reduction. Um, so, you know, that's, that's done today using natural gas sometimes, and it requires, a, you know, typically to use a specific type of iron ore. But, you know, one of the, the cool projects is, is the hybrid project in Sweden. Um, you know, they are looking at hydrogen-based uh, direct reduction um, and then place it into an electric arc furnace. And, um, you know, essentially, just, just for, I suppose, a, a 101 on it a little bit, you know, you do need some level of carbon in steel uh, production, but this greatly reduces that, uh, the, the quantity that you, you, you're going to have to uh, emit or use, right? Uh, and essentially what you're doing is substituting hydrogen for coking coal. Um, it's a different process, um, but, you know, we have the first commercial pilot plant uh, I think up and operational in Sweden now. And there's a couple more I think around the world that are are, are kind of under kind of consideration for development. And there's also cool kind of work going on around hydrogen blending into existing blast furnaces. And I think ThyssenKrupp have, have announced that a little while ago, a, a kind of a partial blend uh, in existing resource and assets. But you know, the, the the really interesting part of this is that you know steel manufacturing facilities are are absolutely enormous, absolutely huge, and will consume very, very large volumes of hydrogen uh, as a substitute, right? And it's one of the direct areas where we can see the, the swap out on, a, on, a, on a almost a kind of a feedstock, if you will, level basis, um, as well as, as kind of an opportunity to then, you know, move into using greater levels of, a, a, like, a, like, clean electricity, right? So... Yeah, the hybrid comer- or the commercial scale pilot, up and operational, producing some steel, um, and it's a technology that you know we could we could hopefully roll out rather rapidly, and um, you know by 2030, 2040, we could have very 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 low carbon um, steel production around the world. Now there's there's other factors in that. There's other challenges. We need to ensure that the hydrogen has the lowest possible carbon content, especially as these things scale and ramp. But going back to the previous point around building kind of additional markets and additional use cases around hydrogen, when, when you have a huge anchor user, um, now you're talking about relatively small size to scale up the next kind of 
megawatt or two of an electrolyzer using the same maybe pipeline infrastructure or you know fueling a few a few trucks or a, a few um, a few buses or etc. Like pick your pick your pick your horse on it, but um, yeah, it's it's a huge a huge opportunity to hit. Um, I think a large, a very large chunk of the, I think it's around 10%, 9-10% of uh, global emissions, if we could remove that from the steel sector. And, um, and also, I suppose, you know, positively keeps the steel sector operational, right? It gives this, this very heavy industry a pathway to decarbonize that we really didn't have a couple of years ago. And, and that's, you know, partially, thankfully, due to uh, hydrogen's availability with uh, low carbon molecules. But I, I guess what all this was running into, you know, uh, you know, regardless of end use sector, whether it's um, power sector, heat, transport, and, and, you know, alongside all of that, the huge amount of funds that are being raised um, is, is still this kind of policy and regulatory piece, you know, and, and I guess, uh, Andrew, I know we wanted to talk about that. Are you happy if we kind of move into it? Yeah, I was going to make a similar transition, but um We've seen uh, we've seen Germany, we've seen the EU, we've seen an Australian hydrogen strategy. We've seen quite a few hydrogen strategies come out, and I think governments, depending on your region, are making bigger strides than others. But uh, were there any highlight ones that you guys want to want to you know take uh, in a little bit more detail? I'd like to just flag as a very quick follow on one of one of the one of the reasons you're you're seeing that that steel project, the hybrid project in, in Sweden, kind of emerge is because They've been mandated to do so by policy, not not specifically you know this project, but you know the steel sector, SSAB, and, and, and the, the you know the various other partners. Um, trying to remember the 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 other kind of uh, cohorts, but there's 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 two other partners particularly involved. But they are you know mandated to decarbonize the sector by I think it's twenty forty seven or something like that. Um, so you know it's it's one of those things where you can see a combination of factors, right? The, the opportunity exists, but also the technology is starting to emerge, but also policy, as I said, you need to go down this path. So there's a little bit of a tangible follow-on. It's been quite interesting to see, um, I guess, the sort of um, cascade effect, right? So, you know, once one region in Australia released a hydrogen strategy, every region in Australia felt that they needed to put out a hydrogen strategy. And, you know, once one European country put out a hydrogen strategy, others sort of cascaded through. What is interesting, I guess, is is also some consistency. In, so, you know, across uh, a lot of the major European economies, you know, the target uh, has been fairly similar. So, you know, five gigawatt target for Germany, five gigawatt target for France, five gigawatt target for the UK, five gigawatt target for Italy, all by 2030. That's quite interesting how consistent that is. Um, you know, some might have expected countries to maybe have said, well, we want to be more ambitious. And in fact, everyone's kind of chosen to say, we want this to be big, but, you know, not trying to overstep it. So it'll be interesting to see if when Canada or Australia sort of um, come forward with their strategies, what they look like. Um, I, I guess the the policy piece that I'm sort of still struggling to get my head around is how a lot of these ambitions and a lot of these strategies necessarily will loop together. Um, because if you look at sort of Australia's strategy, it's a very export-driven strategy, um, you know, as is, as is a lot of the work around Saudi. And obviously, there are a lot of countries like Japan and South Korea that are import-based in their strategy, as is Singapore. Um, and and to an extent, the German strategy as well acknowledged that Germany probably and most of, and a lot of Europe will be importers. 
But, you know, the boring administrative pieces, and I keep saying boring, but I, I probably shouldn't. Um, but things like how do you classify what hydrogen is low-carbon hydrogen? You know, Patrick reflecting on our debate around biogas reforming to hydrogen, you know, a few episodes ago. That actually is a non-trivial issue. You know, the UK is going to have its own certification scheme that's not going to be certified. Certify, which is the EU standard, is not the same as what Australia and other markets are looking at. Um, you know, there is, people forget, there isn't really a commodity market in hydrogen. You know, most hydrogen is produced for single off-takers who account for 90% of the demand or 80% of the demand for that specific site. So, you know, it, when we talk about a market where there's 70 million tons of hydrogen sold every year, it's true, but it's not 70 million tons that's traded in the same way that oil is. And so, you know, thinking about how you encourage pricing, how you encourage storage, how you have, as it were, certificates of origin and, and carbon embedded into all of that is, you know, how, you know, is the piece that pulled together all of these different disparate policy strategies and creates a global market so that all these mega projects and all this funding can then follow behind it. And I'm not sure in the last year we've really seen anyone take a leadership role on that. So it's going to be interesting, I guess, to see you know, if that's something for the Hydrogen Council or even for the new Biden administration. I don't know, Andrew, if you feel that uh, you know the Americans are even vaguely interested in hydrogen, given all the other elements. <laughs> it'd, be your, it'd be good to get your perspective. Uh, well, so I, I think it's, you know, it's a somewhat complicated question, but I do think it's fair to say that uh, if you follow the Biden administration's transition plans, which of course are being hampered left and right. But putting all that aside, putting all the drama aside, uh, you know, I think it's fair to say that the Biden team has made it clear uh, that while there are other things on their list, um, climate change and renewable energy action fall and clean energy action fall very much at the top of that list, right? If you go through uh, Biden's platform on restructuring the energy markets or restructuring the energy mix and transi- transitioning to a clean energy future on his website or on his campaign's website. In there, um, I would not say that you find hydrogen taking a terribly prominent role, but if you look and you know what you're looking for, it's a rather extensive document. It's in there and it features... Um, yeah, I, I think it's actually fair to say that they are paying attention. The administration or soon-to-be administration is factoring in uh, low-carbon and zero-carbon hydrogen as uh, a key component. Uh, part of it factors in rather heavily in their re- repurposing of existing infrastructure portion of their plan, right? So using uh, oil and gas infrastructure that currently exists and repurposing it for low carbon hydrogen transport. I think that's uh, something we've touched on before on previous episodes and something that they are talking about. Um, I think it's also like interesting and I realize that it's somewhat a matter of shorthand for talking about what will be happening in the next four and possibly eight years under, under uh, Biden or Biden Harris administration. Um, I realize it's an ease of terminology, but Keep in mind that the reality is administrations don't pass these laws. They, they can't. Um, this is what Joe Biden and Kamala Harris want to accomplish under their administration. And some of it can be, uh, you know, accomplished through 
allocation of funding to different agencies and different departments. Some of it can be done through regulatory policy um, that falls within the, you know, within the wheelhouse of one agency or the other. But the majority of the really substance, substantive stuff needs to be done through Congress, right? And as of right now, uh, and we'll find out in January, the Democrats do not control Congress, uh, or at least not both houses. Uh, so the Senate is still up for grabs, but it's going to be very tight. So we have to keep that in mind, right? Like a lot of these changes, if you go through the Biden plan, <clears throat> it all sounds super positive. Hydrogen has a prominent role to play, albeit it's some, it's a little bit further down in the details. Um, but we can't count on the administration being able to make those, those big moves all by themselves, right? So I would recommend looking at uh, some of the congressional plans that have been put forward. I think uh, Deget and Tonko both have bills out, proposed bills. Um, around climate change and renewable energy. So uh, that's where some of the substance is going to be. But I think the, the the short answer to your question, Chris, which I have not given, is that I think the trajectory is positive. Uh, but perhaps we're being a little bit, it's a little too simplistic to think that just because Joe Biden is coming in and he has some big plans uh, that we're going to see that uh, start to take place on day one, right? I don't know, Patrick, thoughts? Yeah, I think... <sighs> I think I think you're <laughs> right. Which is too much. Which is, yeah, nice, 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 easy one to tee into. Like, yeah. like, sorry about that, Patrick. You know, as, as we're wrapping up 2020, why not end on a you know we're not out of the woods uh, kind of uh, commentary on the political and hey, look. I don't. I don't want to be negative. I'm not trying to be negative here. I just think we need to be realistic, right? We know we know you're not trying. I think we're in a positive state. <laughs> um, no, look, look, I, I, I joke, but um, no, look, like steps forward um, is is the way to look at this. I think, and and pragmatism as well, right? Like, um, there's an awful lot that has to change to get a kind of significant uh, significant action rapidly, right? And any steps forward are good. Um, but but it's still going to be challenging and difficult. Now, to be fair, the DOE uh, you know has has a strong kind of tradition of working in the space. You know they've they've done an awful lot around looking at the the deployment challenges and technologies. The national laboratories here have continually worked on this. Um, so you know we're not starting from a base of zero, but also you know. At a certain point, and, and very much to speak to some of the things we've already talked about uh, in, in regard to other areas and other countries, you know, this starts to become a case of deployment. And if we want to realize the you know expected um, you know learning curve um, indicated kind of um, cost declines, we have to get deployment. Um, and you know whether you look at that on a global scale or a domestic scale, you know, depending on whether you're trying to grow the entire sector generally or whether you're trying to develop it as a domestic industry um, you have to start making substantial investments and you have to see you know capital deployed to build projects to build expertise to build to build capacity to deploy further and faster um, and that's that's what I hope for in the next little while that we start to see more rollout at scale more development at scale and um, that we see policy supports for that development and deployment. And I think those are things that can be achieved. Um, but yeah, it, you know, look, 
the we haven't we haven't flipped the coin here, and, and this is going to take off like a, a jet necessarily. It's 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 a little bit it's a little bit more complex, as you say. I, I want to be clear that I I I, I do see this is uh, there are positive things on the horizon, right? And, and to to your point. Uh, you know, we, we, Inrel and DOE, it, you know, it's been they've invested for four billion dollars in the last decade or some. Uh, I believe it's the last decade on uh, looking at at uh, deployment uh, possibilities and bringing down the cost of uh, electrolyzer technology. Uh, the question and, and I think, you know, here's the here's the upside. Right. If you looked at a uh, at a climate or energy focused platform, part of the incoming Obama administration in 2008, I doubt you would have seen hydrogen in there, right? I mean, there might've been some mentions here and there, um, but I don't think it would have figured on their website as something that they're even looking at. Uh, and that has changed dramatically when you look at the Biden plan, right? At part of their $400 billion in funding in the next four years that they want to put towards uh, looking at clean energy and energy transition technologies. Uh, they've allocated part of that. What that part is, we don't know, but they are planning to allocate some chunk of $400 billion over four years to green hydrogen technologies, right? And low carbon hydrogen. So I think that's a positive development, particularly for the hydrogen sector. Uh, and that's where I would, I would see the upside. So I think this all leads us to one question, which is when can we expect to see uh, a protein launch in North America, Chris? Ooh, <laughs> the hot topics. All right. Now we're talking, people. Well, uh, yeah, uh, we, 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 we said we would at some point. Um, I would try and give everyone a bit more details about protein, but not uh, maybe not that ambitious just yet. Oh, man, he's becoming, he's becoming a CEO so quickly in front of our eyes. <laughs> Doesn't answer the question. Uh, oh well. All right, Chris. Well, we'll let you off the hook on that one. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. But um, but you know what? I, I thought is worth saying. Um, you know, we've we've had an amazing list of speakers this year, and I wondered, Andrew, is it worth us teasing our listeners with some of the other guests that we've got coming up for the next few episodes, or you want to keep it as a Christmas surprise? Well, I have to pull up the list in front of me, Chris. So uh, you know, give me a second here. So many, he uh, he can't remember. That's right. Andrew's backlog is so long now. There it is. All right. So we've got, maybe we'll keep the names a secret just so that people, uh, yeah, yeah. But we've got BOC, we've got Anglo-American, we've got uh, Universal Hydrogen, and we've got Intercontinental Energy, and I believe Johnson and Matthew. Uh, I will not give any particular order because they may change, but uh, that is the list as it stands. And, and, and I think they're... they're ma- oh, excuse me? Anglo-American too, right? I think I said Anglo-American. The one I left out, unfortunately, is, uh, is uh, Protium Green Solutions has signed <laughs> up on an indeterminate date to uh, <laughs> to give us some insight, but those are where we stand at the moment, which I think is a pretty stellar list, uh, and I think that'll be pretty exciting, guys. Uh, really exciting, and obviously touching on a load of things we were just talking about in the episode. I mean, you know, Intercontinental Energy, our developers, the Asian Renewable Energy Hub, the huge project that we spoke about earlier. So that's going to be hugely exciting. Anglo American, our you know AP Ventures is the largest pure play venture fund for you know hydrogen fuel cell space. 
been growing rapidly um, with a lot of very high-profile LPs. So obviously, that's a really exciting one. Johnson Matthew leading on some of the biggest innovative hydrogen projects in the UK. You know, it's it's just all fantastic, and um, you know, I'm sure we'll we'll bring on some other fantastic guests in the next couple of months too with your uh, with your charming ways, Andrew. And yeah, no, uh, if that's what you're riffing on, we're in some serious trouble. <laughs> Well, yeah, between you and, uh, you know, Patrick's very down-to-business approach to uh, podcasting, yeah, maybe we'll... Uh, <laughs> Andrew, about just Chris good, old, good old no-bullshit Malloy over there. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what, we'll just, we'll have to get some sort of celebrity guest in for this, uh, to replace Chris on this Protean episode. If only we could... If only we had made arrangements for that, I wonder who it would be. Mm-hmm. All right. All right, guys. I don't think we have any more time for that. I will give you one other bit of information in the new year. Once we've got our newly designed website up and running, uh, people will be able to see our upcoming shows listed as an embedded calendar. So, you know, stay tuned for that. But uh, we don't have a date on when that calendar will be out. So there's a little bit of a weird catch 22 of some sort, I think, going on there. Uh, but anyway, all right, guys. Uh, good year end wrap up and we'll close out there. That does it for us today at Everything About Hydrogen. Thank you, as always, to Patrick and Chris for their masterful co-hosting abilities and hard work on the show. Lastly, if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast content. It really does help us promote the show and reach a larger audience. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time.